Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, October 27th, 2022 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, possible RSV, COVID-19, and flu collision has doctors worried. From the Wall Street Journal. And suffering from seasonal allergies? Here's what experts say works best. From time. Plus, have you exercised your body fat lately? From the Washington Post. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Possible RSV, COVID-19, and flu collision has doctors worried. What to know? RSV and flu cases are on the rise this fall, and many Americans are skipping COVID-19 boosters. By Sumati Reddy from the Wall Street Journal. A possible convergence of flu, RSV, and COVID-19 has doctors worried. Flu cases are rising earlier than usual, and pediatric hospitals are seeing surges of respiratory syncytial virus, commonly known as RSV. There are also signs that COVID-19 cases are increasing in parts of the country as Americans head into the cooler months. COVID-19 precautions earlier in the pandemic and their near disappearance lately are a big part of the reason flu and RSV are staging a comeback, doctors say. Measures such as masking and social distancing suppressed rates of other viruses too, leaving those of us who haven't had a recent infection with lower levels of protection now. It's very clear that because people are relaxing COVID precautions that it's very likely we will also see an increase in influenza at the same time says Jay Varma, director of the Cornell Center for Pandemic Prevention and Response in New York City and a physician and epidemiologist at Weill Cornell Medicine. All three viruses share similar symptoms, such as cough, sore throat, runny nose, and fever, making it hard to tell what you have without a test. You can test for COVID-19 at home, and most health professionals can test for flu and RSV. Worries ahead for COVID-19. Protection from vaccines and prior infection have dramatically reduced the severity of COVID-19 infections since earlier in the pandemic. Yet the virus remains dangerous, especially for people who are older or have certain health conditions. Less severe cases can still make you feel ill for a week or more and ripple through your household, disrupting work and school. And even mild infections can cause longer-term symptoms associated with long COVID, such as brain fog, extreme fatigue, and racing heartbeat. Particularly for people who are over the age of 50 and who are immunocompromised, COVID remains a very real threat, says Celine Gounder, a senior fellow at the Kaiser Family Foundation and an infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist. The most recent Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data show decreases in nationwide numbers of COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, and death. The 21-day average of new weekly cases decreased about 31 percent 
as of October 19th, compared with the previous 21-day moving average. The seven-day average for hospitalizations fell 4% to 3,156, and the 21-day moving average of new deaths declined 13% to 388. However, it is difficult to accurately monitor COVID-19 cases as most people use at-home rapid tests, which are typically not reported. The CDC is also reporting COVID-19 cases less frequently, issuing weekly rather than daily updates as of October. The most reliable indicator of COVID-19 cases is hospitalization data, says Dr. Varma, but hospitalizations tend to lag behind cases by about two to three weeks. We think this is the calm before the storm, says Caitlin Jedalina, an epidemiologist who writes the popular Your Local Epidemiologist newsletter. We think in November it will really start taking off on a national level, she says. Newer Omicron subvariants are staking a claim around the world, with some driving surges in other countries. Weekly data from the U.S. CDC indicates that the BQ11 and BQ1 subvariants descended from BA5, the dominant Omicron subvariant in the U.S., make up more than 16% of cases as of October 21st, up from 11% the week before. Another subvariant, XBB, is driving a surge of cases in Singapore. Case numbers and hospitalizations in some Western European countries are starting to rise, which often is a harbinger of what is to come in the U.S. Wastewater monitoring in the Northeast also indicates that cases are starting to climb. Doctors worry that few people so far have gotten the updated version of the booster shot. Flu season starts early. At the same time, flu is rearing its head sooner than usual, with the CDC citing increased activity in most of the country, particularly the southeast and south-central states. Rick Zimmerman, a professor of family medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, has been doing flu surveillance for more than a decade and says he hasn't seen activity this early since the 2009 influenza pandemic. Public health officials recommend that everyone six months and older get a flu vaccine, ideally by the end of this month, and say that it is safe to get a flu shot and COVID-19 booster at the same time. The dominant influenza strain is H3N2 and appears to be well-matched to this year's vaccine, says Dr. Zimmerman. It takes about two weeks for really good immunity post-vaccination, So get your flu vaccine now, because we're seeing the start, he says. Last flu season, approximately half of people ages six months and older in the U.S. received the flu vaccine, the CDC estimates. Projections are similar for this year, according to a National Foundation for Infectious Diseases survey. It remains unclear if the U.S. influenza season, while starting earlier, will be more severe in hospitalizations and deaths. The season was bad in some parts of the Southern Hemisphere, such as Australia, which already had its winter, but not so bad in other parts, such as South Africa. RSV rebounds. Rates of another common virus, respiratory syncytial virus, are also surging earlier than usual, filling beds in pediatric hospitals. 
RSV is a virus that infects the respiratory tract. Typically a mild cold in healthy people, RSV can be dangerous and even deadly in the very old and young, particularly babies under the age of one. The only way to get immunity to RSV is exposure because there is no vaccine, notes Dr. Gounder. RSV cases dropped during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. The respiratory virus that typically circulates in the fall and winter then resurged in the summer of 2021. Young children who haven't been exposed to the virus over the past few years are getting hit now. Public health experts say the same precautionary measures that protect against other respiratory viruses help prevent transmission of RSV. Washing your hands thoroughly, often, covering coughs and sneezes or wearing a mask, staying home if you are symptomatic, and improving ventilation in indoor spaces. Parents should seek medical attention if a child is having trouble breathing, gasping and wheezing, or coughing so hard they can't breathe, says Dr. Gounder. Difficulty feeding and sinking in of the soft tissues around the clavicles and between the ribs are also concerning signs. Up next, suffering from seasonal allergies? Here's what experts say works best. These medications and lifestyle fixes can help bring relief. By Jamie Ducharme from Time. Millions of Americans spend weeks each year sneezing and sniffling due to allergies to seasonal triggers, such as tree, grass, or ragweed pollen. And for the subset of people who are allergic to year-round household irritants like dust mites, mold, and cockroaches, any season can turn into allergy season. Allergy symptoms happen when your immune system interprets what should be a relatively benign substance as a threat. The severity of symptoms and the difficulty of treating them can vary depending on your genes, how many substances you are allergic to, and your level of exposure, says Dr. H. James Wedner, an allergy and immunology specialist at Washington University in St. Louis. For many people with mild symptoms, the misery of seasonal or environmental allergies can be tamed by over-the-counter medications. But for others, all the pills and nasal sprays in the world don't seem to make a difference. Some allergy sufferers genuinely don't respond to treatment, and researchers are still studying why that is, Wedner says, but others may be able to find relief with the right remedy. I feel like we normalize allergies to the point that people think they have to live with them, says Dr. Caroline Sokol, principal investigator at Massachusetts General Hospital's Center for Immunology and Inflammatory Diseases. But we have tools in our belt to actually help people, she says. Here's what has the best efficacy and what's on the horizon. Antihistamines and corticosteroids. For many people, antihistamines, which block the effects of a chemical created by your immune system, and or corticosteroids, anti-inflammatory drugs, are enough to get allergies under control. These drugs can be administered orally or through nasal sprays and are typically available in over-the-counter and prescription-strength forms. Wedner recommends introducing medications several weeks before peak allergy season to blunt symptoms before they start. It's also important to take these drugs exactly as directed. 
Sokol notes that some sprays take about a week to work. If your medication isn't effective, you may not be using the right one. Antihistamines are great for symptoms like itchy eyes, Sokol says, but corticosteroids are better for congestion. You may need to mix and match to find the right regimen for your symptoms. Environmental control. Nobody's allergic to something that isn't there, Wedner says, so decreasing allergen exposure is sometimes the best way to ease symptoms, though it's often easier said than done. Mite blocking encasements for bedding can be helpful for those with dust allergies, Sokol says, and replacing carpet with tile or hardwood can eliminate hiding places for allergens. HEPA air filtration systems can also help, she says, as long as they're the right size for your space. Pet allergies can be the hardest to manage through source control, Wedner says, because pet owners often refuse to rehome their animals, even if they're allergic to them. For years, Wedner's lab tried to reduce the allergenicity of cats by washing them, something that wasn't terribly effective and that both people and cats hated, he says. That effort didn't pan out, but his team recently tested a specialty food that neutralizes allergens in cat saliva, which spread to cats' coats while they clean themselves, and found it to be effective. Keeping pets out of your bedroom can also reduce symptoms, Sokol adds. Immunotherapy. People with chronic environmental allergies may want to try immunotherapy, which gradually acclimates the body to allergens through a series of injections. It's one of the few ways that we as physicians can actually change your immune system, Wedner says. But immunotherapy is not a quick and easy solution. It requires weekly shots for about six months, followed by years of less frequent maintenance shots. Studies show that about 85% of people get at least some relief from immunotherapy, but some patients eventually relapse and others don't respond at all. Researchers aren't totally sure why, but it's likely in part because there is no commercially available test to determine exactly which protein within an allergen is causing someone's symptoms, says Dr. Gabrielle DeVos, an associate professor of allergy and immunology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City. Even if you have 10 people who all have dust mite allergies, DeVos says, their allergies may be very different. Without granular testing, it's impossible to create an individually tailored immunotherapy regimen, DeVos explains. Such tests are in development, but it's not clear if or when they'll be used clinically, DeVos says. Immunotherapy using pills that dissolve under the tongue instead of shots is now available for dust mite and grass allergies, and studies have shown that this method can be effective. The caveat, Sokol says, is that people who are allergic to many things may still experience symptoms since the pills are specific to dust or grass. Research has also shown that injecting allergens directly into the lymph nodes can be effective. Biologics. Biologics, protein-based drugs that, in the case of allergies, neutralize parts of the immune system that cause inflammation, are an up-and-coming treatment option. These drugs could be used to promote long-term tolerance to our environment or, in conjunction with allergy shots, to speed up their efficacy, Sokol says. Biologics are still the subject of active research, 
but some can already be prescribed to patients who need something stronger than over-the-counter treatments. Up next, have you exercised your body fat lately? Everyone has fat cells, but the more exercise you do, the more likely you are to have healthy and small fat cells. By Gretchen Reynolds from the Washington Post. Is your body fat fit? It could be if you start or continue exercising, according to rousing new science, which shows that being physically active alters fat at a molecular level in ways that improve the fat's health. The findings have broad implications for the state of our metabolisms, muscles, and even how well our bodies deal with the approaching holiday season of cheery gluttony. Many of us may not realize that body fat can be metabolically healthy, or the reverse, no matter what someone's weight or shape. Healthy fat is not about the amount of fat someone carries, says Jeffrey Horowitz, a professor at the University of Michigan who studies exercise and metabolism. It is about how well that fat functions, he says. A person who has healthier fat is much better off than someone with the same body fat percentage whose fat is unhealthy, he says. What principally differentiates healthy from dysfunctional fat, Horowitz continued, is the size of the fat cells. The more small fat cells, the better, he said. And notably, you don't have to lose weight or fat to make the body fat you already have metabolically healthier. Why Fat Cell Size Matters Large fat cells, he said, are already filled with fat. They cannot store much more and tend to leak some of their overstuffed contents into the bloodstream as fatty acids. From there, the fatty acids slosh toward and lodge in other organs, such as the heart, muscles, or liver. Fatty, well-marbled livers, muscles, or hearts are undesirable, unless perhaps you raise steers. Small fat cells, on the other hand, can expand, essentially slurping fat from your blood. You want fat to stay inside fat cells, Horowitz said. Healthy fat cells also contain reams of active mitochondria, the power centers of any cell. Mitochondria convert oxygen and food into cellular energy. In general, the more mitochondria, the healthier and more resilient any cell will be, including fat cells. Finally, healthy fat tissue teams with blood vessels to ferry oxygen and nutrients to fat cells, along with battalions of other cells, most related to immunity, that help fight inflammation. Without sufficient blood supply and immune protection, fat tissue often becomes inflamed and scarred and releases substances into the bloodstream that initiate similar, unhealthy inflammation elsewhere in our bodies, even in people who are not overweight. How exercise can remodel your fat cells. Until recently, though, scientists were not sure whether or how much our fat could change. That is, they knew healthy fat tissue could deteriorate, filling with large, leaky cells, dysfunctional mitochondria, and inflammation. But whether this process could be reversed or slowed remained unclear. Some studies in recent years involving rodents were encouraging, suggesting physically active animals harbored metabolically healthier body fat compared with sedentary rodents, 
even if they were all overweight by rodent standards. But we are not lab mice, and many questions remained about the malleability of our body fat. A study published in June brought glimmers of clarity, though. In the study, researchers at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark biopsied abdominal fat from young sedentary men, older sedentary men, and physically active older men, most of them longtime and frequent cyclists. The fat cells from the older sedentary men showed relatively poor mitochondrial health, with fewer mitochondria than in the young men's fat, and less energy produced by each mitochondrion. But the physically active men's fat cells held plenty of mitochondria, more even than in fat tissue from the young men, so that their fat cells overall were better supplied with energy. Their fat tissue also showed fewer signs of incipient inflammation than fat from the inactive men, whatever their ages. Exercise training meant more mitochondria and better functioning mitochondria, and in essence, healthier fat. Said Anders Goodickson, a professor of cell biology at the University of Copenhagen, who led the study. But for anyone who might not have had the foresight to be a lifelong cyclist, another new study offers hope that starting to exercise now, no matter how sedentary you may have been, could rapidly improve your fat's fitness. For the new study, published in the Journal of Physiology and overseen by Horowitz. Researchers biopsied fat tissue from 36 sedentary men and women with obesity, and then asked them to ride a stationary bike at a moderate pace for 45 minutes or more intensely for a 20-minute interval workout four times a week for 12 weeks. The volunteers' diets were carefully monitored so they would not lose weight. Otherwise, Horowitz said, changes in their fat tissue might have been due to weight loss, not exercise. But without shedding pounds, the exercising volunteers still remade their fat. They wound up with substantially more small fat cells as well as more capillaries to nourish those cells. Their fat tissue also held fewer biochemical markers of inflammation and less symptoms of scarring and hardening around the fat cells. These effects were seen whether the volunteers rode moderately or hard. Intensity didn't matter, Horowitz said. Only that they were active. In the short term, these alterations should make fat tissue more capable of slurping up and storing any excess calories someone takes in with large meals during the holidays. Horowitz said, "A scenario that does not necessarily mean weight gain. This fat is usually stored temporarily, soon converted into energy for other tissues like muscles. But in the meantime, he said, it is better to warehouse such fat in." Fat cells, not your liver or arteries. The longer-term implications of exercise and fat revolve around inflammation, Horowitz said, and whether and how metabolically healthy fat contributes to a metabolically healthy body, even and perhaps especially if people have obesity. We need more research to fully understand what constitutes healthy fat, he said. And the types and amounts of exercise that best generate or maintain it, but already it seems clear, he said, movement benefits fat as well as the rest of your body, offering one more reason to ride, walk, jog, swim, or in whatever way you choose, be active today.
Up next, lower your dementia risks from Consumer Reports on Health. A recent study suggests that a healthy lifestyle may reduce dementia odds, but a second study found that 46 to 49 percent of Americans weren't meeting exercise guidelines and that 59 to 64 percent had high blood pressure. Other controllable dementia risk factors include obesity, diabetes, depression, smoking, hearing loss, and binge drinking. And the source is Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.